RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by The Great Courses Plus. Hundreds of courses, thousands of lectures, tons of stuff that you want to know. Try it for free for one month at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 287, In the Hands of the Prophets. To Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we examine a single episode of Star Trek, taking it apart for the morals, meanings, and messages, and seeing whether the whole thing holds up today. This week, In the Hands of the Prophets, the one where science and religion clash. Or science and a religious leader do, anyway. John's got trivia coming up in a bit, but first... Oh, but first, just a little reminder about another show that we do. It's Mission Log Live. Every Tuesday night, Ken and I get together with you to talk Trek. Now, sometimes we talk Discovery. Sometimes we talk about everything else. Science, fiction, science fiction... Politics, psychology, toys, comics, fandom, and fan films. Oh, the list. It just goes on and on and on, Ken. As does the list of guests, John. Doug Drexler, Dayton Ward, Chase Masterson, Rod Roddenberry, a bunch of other people. Sure, I could name them all, but we've had like 30-something episodes to this point. Do we really have time to list them all? No, no, no. The first thing to do is go back and catch all the back ones, because we've talked about a lot of fun stuff. You can find those at podcast.roddenberry.com. The other thing to do, though, is join us live. We want your calls. That's why we do it live. So, come on along. Tuesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific on Facebook. Our Facebook page, actually, facebook.com slash missionlogpod. That, again, is facebook.com slash missionlogpod. And like I said before, uh, download the old shows as well. Just search for Mission Log Live wherever you go for podcasts. Hey, I have an idea. How about people do both? How about they? <laughs> you subscribe to Mission Log Live wherever you get your podcasts and join us live every Tuesday night, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. I- I'll do it one more time. Facebook.com slash Mission Log Pod for Mission Log Live. John's got trivia coming up in just a moment, but first, I'm going to let you know how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And with that, we hit the part in the show where we do trivia. And when I say we, I mean he, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. John Champion. Thank you for that, Ken. Trivia on today's episode, In the Hands of the Prophets. Well, we have just one writing credit this time around. Robert Hewitt Wolf. He's an old friend. We've talked about Robert before. 
He had a, a kind of conventional entry into the professional writing game, going to college for it, and then kicking around for years trying to sell a script. He wrote A Fistful of Datas, then he made his way over to DS9. He gets a teleplay credit for Q-Less and The Passenger, but this is the first DS9 script where he was responsible for the whole shebang. Uh, Now, it's important to note, this episode is not a crossover. It's not a cliffhanger. There's nothing that is a stunt for this episode. It's kind of an oddity, since if you think about it, TNG had really paved the way for that for a Star Trek and shown great success by doing that. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, certain characters or story threads here don't have impact down the road. It just means that we get to treat this pretty much as a standalone, just like the audience did in June of 1993. The episode is directed by David Livingston, another Trek veteran at the helm here. David was a producer on TNG from the beginning, then directed two episodes of that series, and we've discussed his DS9 work twice so far with The Nagus and The Storyteller. Uh, you know, I love locations and that idyllic outdoor location that looks a lot like a studio set. Is actually outdoors. Really? Uh, I was surprised. Yeah, that is the Ferndale in Griffith Park. Um, it is a very pretty little place, even if it doesn't always look exactly like that. <laughs> I have to really hand it to him for some clever lighting and uh, what, what I would imagine just be a load of bounce boards everywhere and uh, diffusion filters set up everywhere. But di- didn't it look like a set? It really looked like something you would have shot as a constructed uh, set. But no, that that is an actual place right here in Hollywood, California. Uh, Also, a couple of glaring Easter eggs to point out in this episode. In that fast-moving text on Miles' computer, uh, the combination codes at various points spell out Gene Rod and NCC-1701. So if you kind of freeze-frame through that, you can see all kinds of stuff, but those two will definitely stand out to you. Let's talk about guest stars. Hey, uh, remember Robin Christopher from Duet last week? She played Neela. Nope. No, not at all. Well, I'm here to tell you, Ken, here to remind you and everybody else, she played Neela. Oh. Interestingly, this character would have been Anara, played by Benita Andre, who we saw in The Forsaken. Now, for a few reasons, the character was rewritten, recast, and we met her briefly last week. Probably why you don't remember her. So, if you watch soap operas, though, it's very likely that you've seen Robin. Uh, both before and after this appearance on DS9, Robin played Sky Chandler, also known as Sky Quartermain, first on All My Children, then on One Life to Live, and then for nearly 500 episodes on General Hospital. She had a 25-year run in that one character who crossed over to uh, three different soap operas. We also have Philip Anglum playing Beryl, and here we have the first of a, a few episodes of DS9 on which Philip appears as Beryl. He's made the rounds as a TV guest star, but far more prominent in his career is that Philip originated the role of John Merrick in The Elephant Man on Broadway, a role which got him a Tony Award nomination. That show was filmed for television in 1982, a performance that also got him nominated for an Emmy and a Golden Globe. We have the legendary Louise Fletcher as Win, multiple award nominee and Academy Award and Golden Globe winner. Louise Fletcher is from Birmingham, Alabama. What? Well, what? 
She has had a long and varied career since the late 50s and often appears in roles that need a tough, menacing presence. Genre audiences know her from Firestarter, Brainstorm, uh, the 1986 remake of Invaders from Mars, Flowers in the Attic, and The Exorcist II. But of course, her most iconic role and the one that netted her the biggest accolades was that of Nurse Ratched in Miloš Forman's 1975 film adaptation of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Now we're just meeting her here as Wynn for the first of many appearances. And finally, Ensign Aquino is portrayed by a puddle of hardened goo. From the 20th century through the 24th, nothing is better than food on a stick. Prologue. Finally, a mystery is solved. Those weird things that look like giant tongues that Jake and Nog have been buying on the promenade, they're actually Jumja sticks. We know because Chief O'Brien is having one on the way to work. His Bajoran assistant, Neela, told him about them. Quite the engineer, Neela. She's even taught Miles a thing or two. Keiko O'Brien is jealous of the attention Miles is paying to Neela. Psych! She's not really. It's just fun to torture her husband. <sighs> anyway, time for school. Keiko is teaching the kids, Bajoran and Federation, about the wormhole. What makes it unusual is that... Oh, hello, Vedekwin, a religious leader from Bajor. Vedekwin says, don't mind me. You just teach. I'll just watch. Okay. What makes this wormhole unusual is that it's stable. What makes that possible is the fact that it was artificially constructed, built by the beings Commander Sisko met seven months ago. Oh, hey, sorry to interrupt, says Vedic Wynn. Don't you mean the prophets? Sure, says Keiko. Some people call them that. Anyway, ships are able to pass through the wormhole because, because the prophets guide them, says Wynn. Tell you what, says Keiko, you teach the kids all the religion you want and I'll open their minds to, to blasphemy, says Vedic Wynn. And I cannot permit it to continue. Act 1. Boy, that Neela really is something. O'Brien shows up to help her do something engineery, but she's already done it. And her work checks out. Now they just need to seal her work with a security seal, using the EJ7 interlock and... Hey, says O'Brien, where's my EJ7 interlock? It's missing. Huh. In Sisko's office, Keiko is talking to the commander, who is totally not surprised that a disagreement like the one brought by Vedic Wynn has come about. He asks Major Kira to join them, which she does. Wynn is angling to be Kai. She's got support, though probably not enough. While Kira has joined Sisko and Keiko in the office, they're not together on ideology. Vedic Wynn may be orthodox, but the spiritual teachings mean a lot to Bajorans. Bajorans like Kira. You can't think that teaching the facts about the wormhole amounts to blasphemy, says Keiko, though apparently Kira can. She says maybe they need two schools on the station, one for Bajorans and one for non-Bajorans. In fact, Kira's not sure there's any other option. Sisko, the emissary, pays a visit to the Bajoran chapel on DS9, where he finds Vedic Wynn. She tugs his ears in that way Bajoran spiritual leaders do... Playfully chides the emissary for still being a disbeliever. 
Then Benjamin says he'd like to settle her issues with the school. Yeah, sorry, my hands are tied, says Vedekwin. I've been guided by the celestial orbs and the prophets. It's my duty to defend the religious teachings. If Mrs. O'Brien doesn't knock it off, I cannot be held responsible for what happens. Act 2 Miles and Neela are still trying to track down that EJ-7 interlock. Seriously, with that interlock, somebody could access every critical system on the station. Hey, you know what else is missing? A guy. Nobody's seen Ensign Aquino, and he didn't show up for work today. Dax says the computer says Aquino's not even on the station. Right, she'll go talk to Odo about the missing guy. O'Brien and Neela will keep looking for that interlock. Tech the tech, tech the tech. Hey, there it is or what's left of it, in a power conduit, mixed in a puddle of stuff that, I'm guessing, used to be Ensign Aquino. In fact, talking it over with Keiko on the way to work the next day, O'Brien says Aquino even made a log entry about going to that conduit to fix a plasma leak. But enough about that. Time for a Jumja stick on the way to work. But the Bajoran stall owner won't sell to the O'Briens. He says he's out, and the five or six right in front of him, they're not for sale. Miles is ready to deck the guy, though Odo gets there in time to keep that from happening. Seek the profits, the shopkeeper yells to the couple as Keiko pulls Miles away. Sick of it already, Miles says he's willing to put in for a transfer, but Keiko's got some fight in her. She can't walk away from this. Not now. Speaking of this, they've arrived at the school, where Vedic Wynn has parents and students gathered. Good news, Mrs. O'Brien. I have a solution. You don't have to teach Bajoran religion. Just don't say anything about the wormhole. You know, the thing that's put Bajor back on the map. The thing that lights up like a, well, okay, not a Christmas tree, but the center of commerce and society that's literally right outside every window. Just don't teach anything about that and we're good. Deal? And when we get to evolution, says Keiko, or the creation of the universe, what then? Wynn says they can worry about that later. Do we have a deal? Not surprisingly, Keiko says no. Not surprisingly, Wynn says, Well, everyone, I tried to be reasonable. She walks away, and all of the Bajoran parents and students follow. Act 3. O'Brien has just brought the rest of senior staff in on his jumja-stick-sized mystery. It looks like Aquino was in the conduit when it accidentally turned on, turning him into stuff on the floor. There's just one thing. He took that EJ-7 interlock, O'Brien's EJ-7 interlock, without asking. No way an ensign takes a chief's tools without permission. Cisco asks Odo to look into it all a bit further. Meanwhile, Jake has stopped by to talk about what's going on at school. For the five kids left, Keiko changed up today's lesson. Jake's learned about Galileo, and how he was tried as a heretic for saying that the Earth orbits the Sun. And now it's happening again, with all the stuff about the wormhole and the celestial temple. It's dumb, says Jake. Hey, ho, no it's not, says Benjamin. You've got to realize, Jake, for over 50 years, the one thing that allowed the Bajorans to survive the Cardassian occupation was their faith. The prophets were their only source of hope and courage. Um, hi, Dad. They were aliens. You met them. To those aliens, says Benjamin, the future is no more difficult to see than the past. Why shouldn't they be considered prophets? My point is it's a matter of interpretation. 
It may not be what you believe, but that doesn't make it wrong. If you start to think that way, you'll be acting just like Vedic Wynn, only from the other side. Thinking he may need some help, Sisko heads to Bajor, where he meets Vedic Burail. Charismatic, laid-back, not orthodox, and angling to be Kai himself. Weird we haven't met him before, though Vedic Burail spends most of his time at his monastery. Sisko would like for Vedic Burail to arrange an audience with the Assembly of Vedics, so he can discuss the school situation on Deep Space Nine. Burail would really like to help Benjamin but helping Benjamin could hurt his chances at becoming Kai. Come back when I am Kai. Maybe I can be a better friend to you then. Back on Deep Space Nine, Sisko is in a sparsely staffed ops. Kira has a few of the Bajoran staff called in, though why don't we say sick? And Sisko has had enough. People can believe what they want, but this is starting to mess with things. He tells Kira to tell the other Bajorans to get well, like now... Or start packing. Like, now. When she goes to do that, Odo and Dr. Bashir come in with news of Aquino's demise. The plasma conduit did turn him into a puddle, but he was already dead. He was killed with a phaser before that, then moved to the conduit. Act 4. Benjamin wonders whether the death of Aquino is tied to the tensions around the school. Bashir says he was killed the day before Vedic Wynn came to DS9. There were no school tensions, so that idea is tossed. Okay, so Aquino goes to repair the power conduit, but Odo says he doesn't think that's how it started. Aquino's logs indicate that, but that could have been altered. Records show he actually went to runabout Pad C, though no one knows why. Neela and O'Brien give the runabout the once-over, and everything is fine. They talk about Aquino. Neither really knew him, O'Brien just gave him the welcome aboard speech, and Neela, well, Bajorans tend to keep them themselves. Though O'Brien notices how friendly she is with him, and hey, why don't you leave now, because this is getting uncomfortably comfortable. On the promenade, signs of growing tension. Orthodox Bajorans are streaming in, supporting Vedic Wind's drive against Keiko's school. Odo's got other stuff on his mind, though. He's quizzing Quark about the death of Ensign Aquino. Quark says he's heard nothing, though he'll keep his ears open, in accordance with the seventh rule of acquisition. O'Brien's got something for Odo, a security bypass module. He found it not at runabout pad C, but runabout pad A. Aquino never went there. O'Brien thinks it makes no sense, though Odo thinks it makes perfect sense. Aquino went to pad C to check out some sort of anomaly. He interrupts whoever is tampering with it, and gets killed for his trouble. The killer stuffs him in the plasma conduit, where they found the stuff that used to be Aquino, then the killer moves along to Pad A, hoping the tampering there will go undetected. It's only the thoroughness of Chief O'Brien that uncovered the unsuspected tampering at Pad A. But why? Odo figures they wanted to steal a runabout, but all the runabouts are accounted for. This puzzle interrupted by... an explosion at the school... It's in flames. Though luckily no one was inside. Act 5. The explosion was a simple homemade bomb, meaning any number of people could have made it. Vedic Wynn shows up, expressing concern about possible casualties. When she hears no one was hurt, Vedic Wynn says the prophets have been kind. 
though Cisco says the prophets had nothing to do with what happened at the school. This was the work of a disturbed and violent mind who listened to your voice, not the prophets. Is the emissary holding me responsible for this act of terrorism? Asks Fedek Wynne. The commander of this station is, says Cisco. She loudly hopes the prophets will forgive Cisco for turning away from them, but he has had enough of that too. The prophets are not hers to wave about. She speaks for a small subset of Bajorans that's barely listened to on Bajor. So she comes to DS9, stirs up trouble, and builds a following. She counters his argument. He lives without a soul, as does the godless Federation. She says she thought he was misguided, but now she realizes he wants to destroy Bajor, to drag it into the darkness in which he lives. But, she says, we will not go. And that, says Sisko, was a mistake. He spent months working with, living with Bajorans, to build a better future for Bajor. They know that the Federation is neither the enemy nor the devil. They may not always agree, but the arguments give them more appreciation and understanding of each other. You won't succeed, says Cisco, and when your divisive ways get old, the Bajorans will be back, and their kids will be back in school. We'll see, says Vedic Wynn. Back in Ops, O'Brien tells Cisco about the security bypass at runabout pad A. He's locked them all down and keeping an eye out for trouble. Dax says there's a hail from Vedic Burial on board a Bajoran transport. Hey, remember how you wanted me to be your friend? I'm on my way, friend. Let's be friends. Publicly. Cisco says that'd be nice. In Deep Space Nine's Bajoran Chapel, what the heck? Neela, O'Brien's assistant, is meeting with Vedic Wynn. She says she doesn't think she can go through with it. They've locked down all the shuttles. If she goes through with it, she won't be able to escape. I see, says Wen. Then we must accept that as the will of the prophets. But they'll catch me and kill me. The sacrifices the prophets call on us to make are great sometimes, my dear, but the rewards they give will last through eternity. Back in Ops, O'Brien is seeing something really weird. He's found some program that he supposedly wrote. He doesn't know what it is, but it is worrying, especially since he didn't write it. Decrypted, it turns out to be a security override of some sort. He can't tell what, but he thinks it's the weapons detection system. Right when the contentious religious leader Vedic Burial arrives. Of all the... Yeah, it's probably not luck. It's Neela. O'Brien calls Cisco. Be on the lookout for somebody with a phaser. No, not on sensors. Sensors seem fine, but seriously, gun! I mean, phaser! Cisco spots Neela, who does get a shot off, but the shot goes wide. Nobody dies, and Cisco takes Neela down. The prophet spoke. I answered their call, she yells. The prophet spoke. I answered their call. As she's taken into custody. Kira confronts Vedic Wynn. This... This assassination attempt is what it's all been about. The controversy at the school, the violence. It was all to get Burial out of the monastery, where he'd be easier to kill. To stop him from becoming Kai. Vedic Wynn turns and walks away. Later, in Ops, Sisko tells Kira that Neela says she acted alone. 
Kira knows they will never hear the truth. That Vedic Wynn was involved? They'll never hear that from Neela. Sisko asks if Kira's okay. She says she hasn't seen okay in quite a while. But she wants him to know that what he said about the Bajorans with whom he's worked for the last several months, he was right about them. At least one of them. She doesn't think he's the devil. Sisko smiles. Maybe we have made some progress after all. The end. I'm really glad that after last week's kind of intense character-driven drama that it was so rooted in history, uh, and that was a heavy conversation, I'm glad we got something that we could just goof on uh, for the next, say, 35 minutes and just call it a day. May I just say, a la moraine! <laughs> no, well done. That was a lot of plot. Was yeah, it was a lot of plot. It yeah. was a, it was a longer recap than I wanted it to be, but you know, it's like what can you take out? I mean, I'm sure other people could have, but I didn't. So there. Yeah, there you go. So uh, let's talk about food then. Uh, Jumja sticks. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I get the impression that they're just sort of like densely sweet. Uh, so I'm really not interested. Um, maybe if it were dipped in dark chocolate, but all I could think about is like, you, you know, you go to the county fair or like, let's say it's 1979 and there's a very young John Champion going into like a Farrell's restaurant and they have the candy store out front, out front and you get the giant uh, lollipop, the huge one. And you think it's a good idea at the time. <laughs> you know, you, you have like a, a lick or two off of that and you're just like, there's no way. And I, I can eat this dinner plate sized thing of dense sugar. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm going to pass in the Jumja stick. Well, I mean, there's something for some reason, I think there's probably a fibrousness about it that that actually appeals to me. I don't know why. Really? Yeah. yeah. But really what I want to know is why does every food on a stick in Star Trek look like a tongue? That is a great question. Thank you. Thank you very yeah. much. That yeah. stuff they ate in the last episode of season one of Discovery. Yep. Um, that looked like a tongue. The Jumja sticks, they look like tongues. The right. um, the stuff they ate in the last episode of season one of Discovery. <laughs> I'm just saying, I like food on a stick. I do. I don't think I would like it as much if it, all of it looked like beef tongue. Well, I, look, I, I, I can get down with tacos de lengua. So mm. I'm, I, I'm so good with that. But yeah, but I, I don't want a whole one on a stick. You know, I'm going to a taco place later. Thank God you told me what tacos de lengua is because now I know what not to order. Yeah, but here's the thing, right? I mean, the whole thing on a stick, though, Like, even if that is good, even if you one day trick me into having that, and that's what it's yeah. going to take, pal. Okay. Even if you well. one day trick me into having that, uh, yeah, if, I mean, if, if it comes in, you know, still in tongue shape mm-hmm. okay. on, a, on a stick, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not having it. Not having it. All right. Uh, let's talk about something else and a character thing here. I really, really kind of hate the uh, manufactured jealousy between Keiko and Miles mm. at, at the beginning. Like, see, here's the thing. She's joking. I, I get it. I get that she's joking, but it's so cliche. And that's my problem with it, uh, is that the writing between Keiko and Miles, as we pointed out since The Next Generation, has just been so full of these cliche yeah. relationship bits. And it's another bit. And, and even though we're left with that little hint of a flirtation from Neela later in the show, 
it, it just the fact that, that that would come up at the beginning, it doesn't really go anywhere and it doesn't need to be there. The episode isn't about that. I would have liked it more if she had actually been jealous, but then not making him feel like crap about it. If we had actually seen her be like, you know, mm-hmm. what's going on there and have him reassure her. Yeah. Because yeah. you're right. Otherwise, it's still just 1950s, you know, sitcom couple who obviously doesn't like each other except it's in the script that they like each other so they must even though you never see it that said there was actually one great couple moment from them and 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 i bring it up because it may be the first okay (laughs) between these two it's when they go to get the jump just stick the second time and and o'brien says one please unless you're feeling adventurous and she just sort of crinkles her nose at him Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. and it's like I, like for for the first time ever, I believe that these two people had actually gotten up in the same apartment <laughs> right. or same right. compartment or whatever. For the first time ever, I felt like these two people knew each other more than just the you know seven or eight words that had been written on the page. Yeah, um, yeah. not not Emmy worthy, you know. But it was good mm-hmm. to see. Mm-hmm. It was good to see. Um, oh, oh, they've met. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, don't ask if they have a daughter, because we, we don't know where she is in any of this, but whatever. Yeah. Thank goodness she's not at school. Yeah, right? Yeah. Um, now, Aquino uh, was hit by directed energy discharge, a phaser mm-hmm. set to kill. Yeah. And there was something left? Like, all I can think about is the worst directed uh, phaser hit, which is uh, Captain Terrell in uh, The Wrath of Khan, and he's just, there is nothing left. That's true. And, uh, you know, we've seen that a lot, where somebody gets hit by a phaser, nothing. They're vaporized. They're gone. Okay, but that was a Federation phaser, or a Starfleet phaser. Oh, okay. We don't yeah. know what kind of phaser he was hit with here, because there have been plenty of times we've seen people killed by phaser fire, mm-hmm. but we actually still see the people when it's done. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if if this was if this was your Wrath of Khan phaser, no, there's nothing left of that guy at all. Um, but yeah, if it, it could have been a Bajoran phaser, which I think is what was she actually carrying when she when she draws down on Barile? Do you know? Yeah, well, I thought that's what it was was a Bajoran phaser, but I didn't think a Bajoran phaser is too different from a Federation phaser. Well, apparently it is, John. Apparently it I is. Guess so it's it, it's set to kill, but it's set to leave a little reminder. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's what it is. Put it on kill. Not all the way kill, though. Put it on send the message kill. Right. That, that's oh, probably that's should have used all the way kill, though, because now i got to move this body to that plasma conduit, and I hope I don't leave anything someplace that people are going to be able to track me back down. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of criminal mastermind am I? Uh, there's a thing that happens in this episode that I absolutely love, and it doesn't really happen in this episode. I miss Kai Opaka. I miss Kai Opaka. I love the shade that Opaka threw at at, at Vedic Wynn without Wynn realizing it. <laughs> so Wynn wanted to know why the prophets had chosen a disbeliever to be emissary. And Opaka said, mm-hmm. one should never look into the eyes of their god. And Wynn said that she'd give anything to look into the eyes of God. And so Opaka's like, fine, go sit in darkness for a day. <laughs> Vedic Wynn has no God. <laughs> Vedic Wynn has no God. And that is exactly what Kaiopaka is telling Vedic Wynn, that her like seeking after power, that her seeking after the face of God, as opposed to actually yeah. just, you know, knowing, right? Yeah, and so she said, yeah. oh, oh, you want to oh, look into the face of your God? Go sit in the dark. Go. Yeah. 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 <laughs> It's great. It's great. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> nice. Yeah, Kaiopaka got the got the spirit of a poet. You know, here's the thing. She's still on the battle lines planet. She is. Why are She's we even looking thing. for a new Kai? Just set up, set up, uh, like set runners to go through the wormhole every couple of days. Make sure they don't die while they're there. 
Yeah, right. But I mean, she can still be Kai. Yeah, just uh, they're a FaceTime call away from. I'm just saying, a Kai. when yeah. when the Pope goes to visit South America, right. he's still he's no the longer Pope, not the Pope. Right. It's not like oh, well, I need a new Pope now because our Pope's gone. <laughs> oh, our Pope's back. Well, I guess that's the thing though. Yeah. The Pope will come back and. Kyle Paca apparently won't unless, uh, well, I assume Julian is still working on getting all those people off that planet at some point. Yeah, well, one would hope, one would hope. But, but hey, since we're in the market for a new Kai, um, I, I got to say, you know, uh, Vedic Burial is, he, he's kind of cool. He's like the, he's like the cool preacher who has the church where there's a rock band and they show movies and stuff. You know, he's, he's that guy. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe, yeah, certainly not disingenuous. Uh, yeah. And, and there's a funny bit about grabbing Cisco's ear, uh, because it, it, it says exactly what you need to know about Burial. That he doesn't rest on ceremony and tradition just for the sake of tradition and ceremony. Yeah, he's got to come down off the mountain every now and then, though. That's a problem. He does. He does. And he doesn't yeah. until, like, people are dying and people are, like, you know, going yeah. up to DS9 and all that stuff. But you're right. He's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know what else was cool? What's that? Uh, Cisco promising Miles that Jake would be in school the next day, the day after someone bombed the other school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have little doubt that Jake would have made that decision for himself. I really would have liked to hear it from Jake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, w- would have been a little more powerful. Yeah. yeah. Dad, I'm uh, not yeah. feeling well today. Are you sure you're just not trying to skip school because somebody blew up your last school? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe <laughs> get dressed, mister. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm a little surprised that at the end of the episode they went for the slow motion no and the leap toward the gun it, again in a show with a, a cliche that opened this that I didn't like the little bickering between Miles and uh, and Keiko it, it was another cliche uh, but maybe more importantly than that I was concerned that as Neela hits the ground the weapon discharges again and I'm certain somebody down there had a leg taken out or something. Here's the good news, though. Mm-hmm. It's a Bajoran phaser, so <laughs> there'll, oh. there'll be plenty left to work with. I could have been a Bajoran spiritual leader, but I did not have the grades for medical school. go deeper into the hands of the prophets in a moment, but first a word from the Great Courses Plus. Maybe you're thinking, I can use a Great Course. Okay, then more courses, plus, plus. These are Great Courses, covering all sorts of subjects, from health and fitness, to the art of debate, to understanding calculus, to the inexplicable universe. Courses in the stream, that is what these are. You can watch or listen to as many as you want. And they are wherever you are. The Great Courses Plus has an app for iOS or Android, letting you watch or listen on the go. They're offering both video and audio versions of the courses, so kind of like listening to a podcast. You can listen while you work, while you drive, at the gym, any place is great for a great course. Oh, listen while you work. Do, do, do. Yeah. Earlier, I mentioned the Inexplicable Universe. This is a course by Neil deGrasse Tyson. You've seen him on talk shows. You've seen him on Nova. Now you can see him wherever and whenever you want. 
but the great course is plus. Neil deGrasse Tyson will explain to you inexplicable life, inexplicable space, inexplicable physics. See, that, that's how good he is, is you come to him with uh, something that is inexplicable. He's like, I'm going to explain it to you. Yeah, you go to him and you say, I can't even. And, and he, he says, he can even. Oh, you can. Yeah. You can even. You can. And then he'll tell you how. So six lectures in this course, Waiting to Broaden Your Mind. Watch them all. Watch the ones you want. Then choose from the seemingly countless courses they have available. And start it all for free. Mission Log listeners have access to one month of lectures from The Great Courses Plus. Just go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash mission log. A big URL toting a bunch of big ideas. Thegreatcoursesplus.com slash mission log. Life is full of stuff you have to know. This is stuff you want to know. Start today at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash mission log. And a huge thanks to The Great Courses Plus for sponsoring this week's show. Odo drops a mad bit of spirituality in this episode. Yeah, lay it on me. The Jumja vendor, or Jumja vendor, mm-hmm. after refusing to sell to the O'Briens, yells after Keiko, Seek the prophets! To which Odo replies, Seek them yourself. I love that. Yeah, I do too. And yeah. I'm kind of bummed that it was under his breath, but it's, it's right up there with the shade that Opaka threw at Vedic Wynn. Mm-hmm. Um, without without Vedekwin knowing. Big fan of that. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like um, when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 4 and 5, how can you say to your brother, let me take a speck out of your eye while there is still a beam in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the beam out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Mm. Or, mm-hmm. as Metallica said, holier than thou, verse 3, <laughs> Before you judge me, take a look at you. Can't you find something better to do? Point the finger, slow to understand. Arrogance and ignorance go hand in hand. And finally, as Smash Mouth said, why can't we be friends? 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 So that was originally the band War. Yeah. Oh, the irony. <laughs> War asking, why can't we be friends? <sighs> I'm glad you clarified on that. I, I yeah. was worried we'd get. Uh, <laughs> I just worried we'd get letters from Smash Mouth fans, Smash Mouth War fans, you Smash know. Mouth. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I, Smash Mouth is the one that I was most familiar with, certainly because I had that album. But yeah, yeah I'm a big fan of War, the band. Yeah, right. let's not get those emails. <laughs> it's. I mean, it's 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 one of those things, and thank goodness you almost never see it in real life. One of those things, John, where somebody says, you know, why don't you be more religious, you jerk? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you never see that at all. No, it's you never do. So yeah. So very rare. Had yeah. somebody uh, had somebody call me out on Twitter recently about something that I had said on another show a few weeks ago, whatever, and uh, and went to their mm-hmm. Twitter account. And the first thing it said in their Twitter description is Christian. And so I wrote back, forgive me. Hey, nice. Yeah, I'm well still, played. still yeah. waiting. Still waiting no? for that. Yeah, Bill Didn't Hicks, happen, everybody. No. That's Bill Hicks, by mm-hmm. the way. That's a fan- fantastic comedian, Bill Hicks. Yeah. yeah. The late Bill Hicks. Yeah. Yeah, sadly. Um, all right. So there's one or two things to talk about in this episode. Um, first of all, just uh, I'm going to lay down a ground rule that uh, the people who are really interested in teaching Bajoran spirituality shouldn't want Keiko to be teaching it. 
Uh, you got a whole planet full of Bajorans who could do that. Right. And really, you know, I, I'm going to, well, it, this might be a shock. I, I'm going to sit down here on the side of reason that says that uh, Keiko should teach exactly what she wants. And then things that are of a spiritual nature should be left to the people who understand a thing or two about Bajoran spirituality. Well, um, okay. okay so got, here's they've got a whole planet full. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I mean, first of all, as we find out, this has nothing to do with spirituality. This has of nothing to do not. with religion. Yeah. This has to do with a with a with a lever that that uh, uh, Vedic Wynn can pull to get what she wants. Keiko, I think, was right, and I was surprised that Kira said this. And I honestly found myself, for the first time in quite a while, wondering if Ro Laren had been there, who would they have had mm. deliver those lines? Because I can't imagine that Ro Laren would have been the one saying. Well, Keiko says, I'm not trying to teach any philosophy. What I'm trying to teach is pure science. Mm-hmm. And then Kira says, some might say pure science taught without a spiritual context is a philosophy, Mrs. O'Brien. Mm-hmm. Eh, thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I'm glad you put that in there because I, I had written down that same note as well. And okay. I believe the, the note that I had after that was, all right, hold up. <laughs> because, look, in a purely technical sense, Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, you, you can categorize science as a philosophy. It is a philosophy of how to examine the natural world. Um, but the big, big dividing line between any type of spirituality or any type of worldview that is based on revelation parts ways with science because science has a the the, the steps of testing the information and B, the ability to change based on changes in the evidence. And that's something that it seems, well, you meet somebody like uh, Wynn, um, Vedic Wynn at this point, that uh, uh, her philosophy, let's say, probably would not be open to change. So, yeah, look, I, I, I get it. Kira is right on a technicality, saying that science is a philosophy and the choice to teach only science without any other thing is making a specific choice of how you are going to influence the kids who are in that class. But you have to make a distinction between what science does and what a class on spirituality, religion, etc. would decide to teach. I have a question for you, actually, uh, something you said right before that, talking about the, uh, you know, where wind is in all of this. Like you said, she's just pulling the lever. Right. No, we've only just met Wynne. Mm-hmm. We know that she's coming back. Um, is she, at this point, in your estimation, is she a true believer or is she a cynic who is just using the language of spirituality and religion to be manipulative. Well, I don't know much about um, Bajoran religious study, but it's hard for me to imagine. Well, Kara said last week when, you know, she was dealing with um, the the guy who may have been the butcher of the place, but it turns out he wasn't. Uh, She Mm -hmm. says that before the Cardassians came, the the Bajorans were a peaceful people Mm -hmm. and they could never understand like the power grab that the Cardassians were, the Cardassians were going for and how, how horribly they were treating everybody. Look, if this happens on Kronos, that's fine. This this is like a day in the life, right, of a Klingon. Yeah, yeah. But this is apparently not the way the Bajorans were before the Cardassians got there, except I would imagine there would be one or two because there have always been one or two. 
there's um, I, I've talked before about uh, about some of the reading that I've done and some of the uh, stuff that I've watched around uh, Queen Elizabeth back in the 1600s. Mm-hmm. The number of the number of religious leaders involved in trying to get Queen Elizabeth killed because she was Protestant, not Catholic, and they thought that England belonged to the true church. Were they believers? Sure, they were believers, I guess. Were they right? No, I don't think so. It's possible that Vedic Wynne is a true believer, but she's warped. She's twisted yeah. at this point. Now, I think she's actually not really a true believer because when the young woman who's going to be doing her bidding comes to her and says, hey, listen, if I do this, I'm going to die. And Vedic Wynne's like, yeah, sometimes that's how it rolls. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. this does not strike me as. Well, maybe she's religious. Maybe she is a true believer. But if if she is, she is from a she's from a sect that I'm not interested in following at all. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that, that's the thing is that you, you can use that religious belief to manipulate, and you can still be a believer in your version of it. Yeah. You know, there is there is so much we we could go scene by scene in this episode, and there are so many lines that are spoken by Vedic Wind that just drive me up a wall. Um, <laughs> you know. Uh, she she says to Cisco uh, regarding Keiko, if she does not recant, I cannot be held responsible for the consequences. Wrong, wrong, <laughs> absolutely wrong. You you cannot simply absolve yourself of any consequence when you show up stirring the pot. You know the, this is absolutely uh, uh, the time for people to stand up and be responsible for consequence. Um, she says, the course the prophets choose for us may not always be comfortable, but we must follow it. And that's part of that. Uh, uh, when she's talking to Neela. Yeah, yeah. It's essentially t- trying to justify whatever is to come. And then, like I said, uh, re- relying on intuition or revelation to say, well, the prophets have spoken to me through the orbs. Again, not not provable um, and, and even interpretable by anybody else um it it goes on and on and on for her to say to cisco the prophets have been kind today after the explosion at the school because nobody died is just absolutely reprehensible um so yeah we we could actually go through every bit of that every scene but but you know, she's written in a way where you um I, I was sitting there watching, wondering after a couple of viewings, is this driven purely by belief or is it purely out of political manipulation or is it the worst of both coming to a head here in a character? Well, it's either political, it's either just political or it's the worst of both. I mean, it's yeah. hard to imagine, again, unless you're going to make up a completely, well, I mean, there have been religions, I suppose, that required sacrifice but i don't i we sort of i hope anyway we got past them right i mean the weirdest one that i can think of that's still going on right now is you will have people who will take up serpents in the lord's name right Mm -hmm. because it says in the bible you could well okay you could it doesn't say in the bible you oughta so i mean i mean it's Either she's yeah. crazy or she's evil. I mean, that's it. Because because she is serving a religion that supposedly is based on love, but is justifying somebody else's murder. Oh, and by the way, that would also get her closer to power. So, yeah. I mean, it's hard to see. I don't care, honestly, if she's a believer. Because, I mean, either she's a believer and she's crazy, or she's not a believer. It's one of right. those two, right. I think. Yeah. 
I have to say that I, I have mad respect for Keiko subversively teaching about Galileo. Uh, that was a, it was a nice uh, a nice thing to bring into this episode. You know the the real world stuff that's going on in this episode. Um, I, you and I both have talked about how he grew up in the South around the same time, and um, science versus religion debates there parallel so many stories where I grew up. Um, when I was a kid, it was specifically about evolution in schools and and a very uh, powerful and concerted effort, which now decades later continues in different places under different guises. Um, but, you know, I, I remember this being a thing on the, the local news so often when I was a kid um, that, that this was up for debate. Should have come to Nashville. I don't. Yeah, right. I honestly don't remember that in Nashville, and and I know it sounds really? crazy because everybody thinks, oh, you know, south of the Mason Dixon, everybody's whatever, and mm -hmm. that's not the case. Especially if you get into like I don't like. Was that ever a thing in Atlanta? It, it's it's not. This is not to make fun of like other places or smaller places, but bigger cities tend to be a bit more uh, be, tend to be a bit more liberal. And so, yep. I mean, you'll see if you look at electoral maps or things like that, the bigger concentrations of population tend to be blue. The outliers tend to be red. There were certainly people who would rather that had not been the case, but I don't remember it ever actually being something that was debated when I was in school, when I was a kid. Um, or maybe I was just an ignorant kid who didn't realize. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'd be surprised. But uh, yeah, because certainly where I was, uh, it was it was a hot topic, you know. And, and like I said, continues in uh, in different guises. I mean, one thing that we have in this episode is um, it just using religious belief to justify and then absolve oneself of absolutely repugnant behavior by any moral standard. You know, what, what happens to that school? And of course, thank goodness nobody was killed. That would have been a very different episode. Um, but the ability of uh, of Wynne to not only wash her hands of it, uh, but manipulate others into carrying that out is, uh, again, there, there is no standard where that would be acceptable. Um, but her manipulation of the belief to make it so is what's really horrendous here. And it it starts with assuming that one set of values or beliefs are superior to another. And then goes off the rails to to bring up justification and stamping out an opposing viewpoint, uh, denial of truth, and in this case, violence. I would ask when what has been asked of many other believers who try to censor any opposing point of view, which is, is your faith on such shaky ground that you can't allow it to stand up to, to inquiry or scrutiny of any type? Um, and, and again, I, I think that Wen is a special case in the respect that she is manipulating anything to fit whatever her end goal is here, mm -hmm. which is a power grab. Um, but it doesn't change sort of the, the battleground of this, which is a philosophical battleground. See, the more you talk about it, the more I think that there's actually not an ounce of belief in Vedic Wen. Hmm. Because if there were then she would just, you know, she'd pray. She'd seek the prophets more. She's actually, she's saying that woman is teaching about something that I don't agree with. Ergo, they're trying to destroy our way of life and drag us down into the darkness. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, that all that is is manipulation at that point. 
I mean, and you can let her think whatever she wants to in that room. She's not telling the kids, your parents have been wrong about anything. She's saying, science. Now go learn whatever else you want, wherever else you want to. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you point out that we don't know a whole lot about Bajoran spiritual life. We, we've had a little glimpses of it, like those, uh, those sad people who have to fight a cloud monster every year. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's one thing. Um, but, uh, but I do wonder how much could be revealed about how deeply those beliefs go that would allow somebody like Vedic Wen to manipulate them. We've heard Kira's version, which is, we were peaceful, We've also heard Kira say, like, eh, maybe maybe she isn't so wrong here. And, and at least asking Keiko to not teach the scientific reality of what's going on. Maybe we need two different schools, she even says. And I wondered, as this episode went on, this is something we talked about in our live show with uh, Kyle Johnson, was talking about the logical limit to Ittik. You know, Cisco spells out what he wants. He says, it is my philosophy that on this station there is room for all philosophies. And I think that changes at a certain point because some philosophies are contradictory. If if one philosophy says, yes, we are here to take all points of view and we want to understand all interpretations, all aspect of this, in this case, the phenomenon of the wormhole. But if the other philosophy says, no, we can only teach one quote-unquote truth about this to the exclusion of the other interpretation, the other truth, I think we've hit a limit at Ittik. We've hit a limit of allowing philosophies to coexist there. What do you think? Well, it reminds me of the um, tolerance doesn't tolerate intolerance thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like I said. Yeah. It's like I said a minute ago. You can sit in Keiko's class and learn about science, and then you can go out and, and pursue a spiritual life if you want to. That's fine. I mean, those two mm-hmm. things are not mm-hmm. antithetical in everyone's mind. One does not negate the other necessarily. It's 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 Vedic Win who's saying it's her way or the highway. It's her yeah. that's saying it's you know one way or, or, or well, I mean. Eh, it's coming it's coming back around. I mean, it's interesting to well, whatever. I'm stuck in my head. I'm stuck in my head because I'm trying to think about like I'm trying to think about like okay, so you are looking at a people who were occupied for 50 years. They had been mm-hmm. a peaceful people before that. They come out of it something completely different. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what that would like like the most recent real world Are we who we are today if 9-11 doesn't happen? Are we, are, are we doing the stuff that we're doing today if we don't have something? Because we came out of that and we were like, man, that was some stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And we actually had a bunch of leaders who were like, hey, you know, let's be cool, all right? Because, yes, that was bad, but it's not, it's not all this. And, and flash forward 15, 16 years and, and – and, horrible things are being waved in our face about the things that happened to us. And so now we have to go out and do these, what we would have thought in 99 in 2000, all the way up to September 10th of 2001 would have been terrible things. And now we're going and doing things that are at the very least questionable, if not outright terrible. Sure. And, and I don't, this is why I didn't want to do this show. (laughs) Yeah. I, what, 
I don't even know where I was going anymore. I mean, I don't, it's, I feel like if you start to examine why this is happening, a gigantic dam breaks and I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know how to stop it from breaking at that point. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. the stuff that was true on the 10th was still true on the 12th and we got our asses handed to us. People did. Compassionate people around the world got their heads handed to them that day. It's not just about the U.S. and everybody else. Horrible. Something something incomprehensible the day before happened. But things that had been incomprehensible before had been happening all along. That was a really bad one. That was a really big bad one. But horrible stuff happened before that. And still, you had people saying, love thy neighbor as thyself. You still had yeah. people saying, if somebody hits you like on the left cheek, give them the right. If somebody asks you to, to, to carry their pack for one mile, carry it too. If they ask for your shirt, give them your coat or vice versa. Mm-hmm. There's, I mean, there's, I don't even remember where we were anymore. What I don't understand is, is you get to this place of, of like justifying terrible things because something terrible happened to you. And I don't think... I don't think a, a religion based on love doesn't usually have an asterisk next to that. Doesn't usually say, eh, unless, or unless somebody did, or unless you don't want to, or unless you want power. I've gotten way lost now. I've gotten way lost now. I've lost the thread on the show. Sorry. No, no but, but look, I mean, this is where I come back to the, this sort of central debate in the show between religion and science which is that it's not about really i mean it's, well, well no no but, but look, the, the the religious interpretation here the spiritual interpretation here is purely about interpretation mm-hmm. it is purely it is purely about using belief and and manipulating to belief to suit one's own ends right and and there is no challenge to that at all because even when a guy like Cisco, who's got all the words, <laughs> Cisco can come up and challenge that and, and it immediately get shut down because, uh, yeah, but you know what? The orbs told me. And, uh, and that, that, that's as far as this goes because the orbs told me and you can't tell me they didn't. And um, I just believe stronger than you do. It's the whole thing of playing on fear, though, right? I mean, that's, sure. I mean, she is able, I mean, and that's how powerful fear is. Cisco is the guy who literally talked to the prophets. Cisco literally hung out with and talked to the prophets. Nobody mm-hmm. else has done that. And yet, you know, this guy, the emissary, this, this surprise holy man for all of Bajor, you then have a religious leader to say, yeah, but yeah, isn't that scary? And and as soon as you say, isn't that scary? And people acknowledge the fear. Well, then, yeah, you know, onward Bajoran soldiers. I mean, it, they'll, they'll do whatever you want at that point if you promise to protect them rather than um, you play on the fear. You, and you wrap it up in belief so that it, 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 it becomes untouchable. It becomes privileged. Uh, it, it takes on a privileged place over the thing that can be tested. So then what do we make of the part? What do we make of the part where Cisco basically makes the case for what's happening to that point? 
Okay, so Cisco's got the thing, you know, you got to realize, Jake, for over 50 years, the one thing that allowed the Bajorans to survive the Cardassian occupation was their faith, right? He mm-hmm. says that. Mm-hmm. Prophets were a source of hope and courage. Um, you can even see why they would be prophets, because they don't see the past and they don't see the future. They sort of see it all, all at once. My point, he says, is it's a matter of interpretation. It may not be what you want to believe, but that doesn't make it wrong. If you start to think that way, you'll be acting just like Vedic Wynn. Only from the other side. The problem that I had with that speech is I don't think that's true because I don't think Jake was saying that the Bajorans' beliefs were dumb. I think what he was saying was to let reason, to let fact be ground under the heel of someone else's religious beliefs, anyone's religious beliefs, no matter what they are. That's the part that's dumb. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I completely agree with you um, because I I think the best interpretation of those lines Mm – Cisco is trying to teach a little sensitivity, yes. Jake, which is merely to say there's a context we have to understand. So that even if you come at this from a completely different point of view, you have to understand why the belief runs so deep. And I think that's fine. But but I agree with you that um, that yeah, Jake, Jake wasn't saying the belief was dumb. I I, I don't think that's the case at all. Um, but the, the the response maybe wasn't exactly the way it should have been worded by, again, a guy with all the words. Yeah, it seems like maybe there should have been like another 30 seconds where Jake went, no, no, no. I was saying that changing the curriculum based on that was dumb. And then Cisco <laughs> right. would be like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I got. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> With the Vedics off the station, it is time to see what is left in the hands of the prophets. It's part of the show where we talk about the messages, morals, and meanings of the episode and whether or not we think the whole thing stands the test of time. And I'm going to veer off from that for a second and apologize and I'm not going to apologize for anything I said. I'm going to apologize for it not being terribly coherent. I don't know how I would have written all of that out had I tried to write all of that out. And honestly, I tried to stay away. When I said I don't know how to make it stop, I don't know how to make that stop. I didn't mean to say any of it. <laughs> so, but I, but, I, but I stand behind it, crazy enough. And so, you know, send your emails to me. That's fine. In the meantime, uh, we do have a show to finish. Uh, as I say, this is the part of the show where we talk about the messages, morals, and meanings. And whether it holds up, um, I don't think you're going to surprise anybody with your answer to this question, John. In the hands of the prophets, does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? Can it's so Star Trek it hurts. It hurts. Um, it hurts. It hurts. We, we take on a huge, relevant social issue. A uh, bit, bit of politics in there, too. Something with a philosophical angle that needs to be explored. And uh, the writer, in this case, takes some very definite positions and doesn't really pull any punches. So I love it. Um, also, as a production, just as you know, story structure, and you got an A and a B plot that tie together exactly as they should by the time you get to the end of this. Um, and again, for a season ender to just have an ending, uh, again, I understand characters and plot threads can reemerge, but the, the way this is just a, a self-contained episode that has something to say and wants to 
get into the nitty gritty of hot button issues, uh, way to go. Yeah, it's a really excellent episode, um, which follows uh, another really excellent episode. So, yeah, uh, I think it holds up very nicely. How about you? Yes. Okay, <laughs> very good. I'm trying to limit my word count <laughs> for this hey, segment. Uh, well, we don't want it to be Ken heavy. No, we don't. <laughs> He's a good rapper, though, I'm telling you. He was great. He was That great. guy, yeah, I, I caught him selling uh, some of his tapes out of the back of his Camry the other day. He's good. Yeah. Ken Heavy. Hey, there's, uh, there, there's something in this episode, though, because it comes up and because we, we've had in DS9 now our, our first sort of uh, emergence of this, this religious slash social slash political the, the that's merging where this comes together and it, it gets heated and uh there's something about this episode that i just i, I sort of do a check-in just like me and you and me and you in the audience so sort of a check-in with you know part of what we do in this show is we try to figure out what is star trek trying to say it's not it's not what in, what are Ken and John trying to say is what is Star Trek trying to say in this episode what's the world that Star Trek is trying to present and wants to challenge us with uh when Vedic Wynn calls Starfleet godless mm -hmm. which Cisco doesn't deny and uh I also believe that uh Barile says something yeah I think he uses the word godless in there as well um, and regardless of where we are, where this series in particular, where DS9 or the rest of Star Trek goes in the episodes and series to come, I want to take a look at where we are right now, because I don't think it's changed much. We got a lot of mail from people saying like, oh, this is the episode or this is the series where we really explore our spirituality, really explore religion and, and its role in the 24th century as it relates to Starfleet, et cetera, et cetera. Um, where we are here, like I said, I don't think it's changed much. The Federation in general and Starfleet in particular, as it's pointed out in this episode, doesn't follow or espouse any particular faith. It, it seems to be pretty much a scientifically driven secular institution. Now, within that, you've got individuals who have their own traditions, their own backgrounds and beliefs. But once you sign up for this version of the 24th century, you're not doing work guided by a particular religious principle. Um, but you've got itic. So there's a respect for cultural traditions and beliefs. But clearly in this episode, the episode is saying that scientific truth is valued higher than dogma. You know, the star of the show is Cisco. It, it, it's that show. It's not the... Vedic Wynn show. We're not supposed to side with Vedic Wynn here or the people who are manipulated into following Vedic Wynn. Um, I got to say, I'm almost more concerned, though, about the people who do follow Vedic Wynn. I mean, they're they're really the ones that I would want to concentrate on. Oh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm concerned about them, but I, I don't think that's not what Star Trek is. Star Trek isn't the show about the followers of Vedic Wynn. That's the challenge that Star Trek now has is what happens as these people are getting influenced and manipulated by the twisting of this spiritual belief. 
Well, yeah, but let's, I mean, let's take religion out of it. And I know that's kind of crazy to say, but I mean, where I went so nuts a minute ago, it didn't have anything to do with religion. It had to do with one of the most horrible things that's happened in this country since it was founded in the U.S. And a lot of people will throw religion at that and sort of put that patina on it. But it's really about, are you still who you want to be? And there's no religion in Star Trek Insurrection. What there is in Star Trek Insurrection is a bunch of people living peacefully. The Federation or some certain people in Starfleet who are tied in with some pretty bad guys come in and say, actually, we need that. So we're just going to we're, we're going to take five minutes away from who we say we are and what we say we do. And we're going to do this other thing because that's going to be better for those five minutes. This is the guys um, who who wanted to leave Baylock floating in space to die. Yeah. Who would then say, but wait a minute, we're the guys who help people who are in trouble. And yeah, I know that guy was trying to kill us, but he's not doing that now. In fact, he can't. In fact, he will die. So we're going to turn around and go help him now. I mean, this is, I got caught up in the whole, we get caught up in the whole religion part of it, but this isn't really, religion is just a thing that they're using. It could just as easily have been something incredibly jingoistic instead. It could have just as easily been something racial instead. It could have been any number of things. I mean, they're using religion because that's really hot button. And that, that's, that's, that's an easy one to get people on. If, I mean, it, if they have even good. half a religious belief, it's easy to bring them over just by saying, well, they're this other religion who thinks you're going to hell or they're these people who think your religion should be outlawed. I mean, it's not religion and science are the canard in this in a way. It's an easy one to write about and it's a difficult one to write about. And certainly there are still lots of things to talk about there. But is it not really about this is who I was when I went to bed yesterday? Something happened in the middle of the night. Who am I going to be when I wake up? I think we do this episode a disservice. I mean, I, I, you're not wrong by saying that, yeah, that, that's the, the context they decided on for this. And, and in another context, it would be a race or it would have been something else. Mm -hmm. But Robert Hewitt Wolf chose religion as the difficulty in this episode that has to be put up as a mirror to the belief system that – Cisco and Keiko O'Brien and everybody else has got to chew on. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think that there's a statement here. And I think that there is a different, definite comparison of values and a comparison of techniques, shall we say, mm -hmm. in, uh, in what we're doing here. So I, I, I don't want to strip that out, but I, I see why you're saying you could strip that out and you could make a similar story. Um, and and choose whatever other hot button issue you want to put in there. But in this case, they chose religion. And I think it's important that we talk about that because you have this history and, and very much on the table in Next Gen, where it was, it, it was so hands-off with religion. It was so uh, 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 removed and elevated from, from any of that. And now we're kind of getting down into the trenches mm -hmm. where we're saying this is a place where we're going to find difficulty. And this is a place in this 24th century universe that we've imagined that maybe the philosophies of Idic, of uh, exploration and scientific truth, they actually bump up against something that is going to challenge that. So I, I think that's where it's kind of critical here that, that we make that part of the discussion. 
Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I'm not, yes. I mean, I'm with you and I'm not with you at the same time. I go back to, uh, Mm -hmm. is it Code of Honor? Mm -hmm. Code of Honor was the one where, um, a horribly racist episode, if you watch it. Yeah. (laughs) If you just read it, it's not. And you prove that. And, And the thing is, I, I think my only concern is, I mean, people are going to hear us say religion and people are going to hear us say things that are potentially negative about religion. And they're going to say, well, they just hate religion. Well, no, I mean, we could make it about any number of other things. I think what we hate is the manipulation or at least, I mean, I don't want to speak for you. What I hate here is the manipulation, the manipulation, especially of something that could be good or should be good. The manipulation that says, you know, that can take love thy neighbor as thyself and, and twist it so that doesn't actually mean your neighbor. Or the, 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 the philosophy, except I don't want to use that word because it's a, it's a bastardization of philosophy, that can take the words all men are created equal and say, well, except for those guys, right? I mean, I, mm. I, the reason I want to, I don't want to strip a religion from it because you're right, it is an important conversation, but if this weren't religion, if this were something else, it's still saying something incredibly important. So I kind of want, I mean, we're, we're an hour into the show at this point. So I don't think, I don't think people are going to get here and go, Oh, okay. So he didn't mean religion. Fine. But I would like to find a way for people maybe to hear past that. I mean, to say that we're not talking about you unless we are. Yeah. All right. So, so then for you, the message is a comeback to Corbin White maneuver. A message. I mean, certainly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there. Look, I'm not saying the religious thing isn't here. It is, mm-hmm. but I mean, ultimately, I mean, what's weird is it's only in thinking about that that I actually think of insurrection and corporate might maneuver as on anything like a, a similar level as well. It's basically, yeah, I get it. You're afraid. You want to run away, but we got a thing we got to do. Yeah, I get it. You want to live longer, but those people were there first, and we're going to honor that. Yeah, okay, the Bajor religion or the Bajoran religion apparently says, hey, let's be groovy and hang out. And and and, and Vedic win doesn't get to change that. And the Cardassian occupation doesn't get to change that. Nothing gets to change that. I mean, if, if we're not even going to let the fact that somebody has met the prophet <laughs> change that, then we can't let the things, and we can't let our basis nature change what we've always said we want to be. But 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 let's go ahead and have the religion talk too. <laughs> yeah, well, and and to me that was kind of the the standout thing. Well, look, I, I have a throwaway, which is to say that if you're O'Brien, don't just trust the nice person because she's nice. Double check the work. <laughs> Always double check the work. In fairness, he did double check the work a couple of times in this episode. He did. He yeah. Did. Well done. Well done, Miles. Eventually, I mean, you got to trust somebody. <laughs> just you know, be careful who that is yeah never trust a bajoran (laughs) wait wait no that's wrong what but you saw what happened you could see but there is a point of view to me in this show and uh i i read uh an interview just a few days ago with uh, the physicist brian cox and uh i think he he makes about as clear a statement as he can about why he holds scientific inquiry and the scientific method in such high regard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to me, that was, you know, again, regardless of the, the nature, or I should say, regardless of the, the, the desire for the manipulation on Vedic Wynn's part, 
at least in this case, she's using religion as the, 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 the way to manipulate. Um, to the extent that it would take away scientific knowledge from these kids. Yeah, just say, oh, just don't teach that. You know, you can do everything else, just not that. Which very wisely leads Keiko to say, okay, so then what's next? You know, we, we kowtow to your particular belief, your particular desire for what you think knowledge should be. How much more do we chip away from that? Right. This, uh, this question, this uh, Gizmodo interview with uh, Brian Cox, he says, Our civilization is built on science. As Carl Sagan famously pointed out, in democracies, we ask people to make decisions. These decisions are about things unrelated to science, but also about things with a scientific component like public health, climate policy, and energy policy. If you have a civilization where very few people understand the foundation and this mode of thinking in particular – then you have a failure in your democracy. Not only are people not equipped to make informed decisions about who to vote for and what policies to pursue, but they don't even know what reliable knowledge is, knowledge that's been tested at some level that's not just invented. So you and I could, as we have, go back and forth about how much of that is central to the episode, uh, but it, it was certainly something that stuck out at me because uh, I really enjoyed the back and forth between uh, Cisco and Kira and Vedic Wynn and uh, the other Vedic uh, Barile yeah. <laughs> and many more Vedics to come. Uh, I think this is uh, kicking us off in a very interesting direction to get more out of what uh, Bajoran spiritual life is and maybe where it bumps up in a, in a not so positive way with other values. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Roddenberry has got a whole host of podcasts there behind. Golly, so many that now it's a network. Podcast.roddenberry.com. There you'll find Mission Log, Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, Priority One, The Trek Files, and who knows what's coming down the pike. Podcast.roddenberry.com. If you'd like to help support this show directly, there's a great way to do that. It is patreon.com slash mission log. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That is trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. On the next mission log, season two of DS9 begins with The Homecoming. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Thank goodness Vedic Wynn is gone. She was an unpleasant character. I am glad to have her off of DS9 for good. As far as I know, without breaking the timeline, Transmission. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.